0: Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.
1: We behold the glory God in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are. Who you are. Do you
0: ever wonder why God sometimes seems to delay? F.B. Meyer said God's delays are not his denials. On today's program, we'll see how God uses divine delays to develop, deepen, and draw out our faith. And now here is part one of Cheryl's message titled, More Precious Than Gold That Perishes.
1: This is a rhetorical question. I'm just gonna tell you that from the beginning. Ever wonder why God seems to delay his promises to us? Trevor, like, wait, why did you even tell me? Couldn't you have waited about five years when we were closer? Why tell me now? We pray and God gives us a promise from his word. Have you ever had that? where you're like, oh, I think this is a promise for me. I always have people coming up going, Cheryl, I think I got a promise. But it's like in the Bible and it's so good. I mean, would God really make this promise to me? Yes. And he gives us these promises. and uh, It seems that he's leading us in a certain direction and we are so excited about the promise, about the direction, and then everything stops. Nothing seems to happen. like construction on your house, just sits there with a broken pipe. And you're like, what is going on? Sometimes after we receive the promise, it seems that all of a sudden God turns us in the opposite direction and we're moving further and further from the fulfillment of the promise or the situation even gets worse or seemingly more impossible to fulfill. So what is God doing during these times of delay? F.B. Meyer, who was a pastor in England at the same time that Spurgeon was a pastor, said, God's delays are not his denials. Don't we need to remember that? That God's delays are not God saying no, but God saying wait. God uses these divine delays to develop, deepen, and draw out our faith. Why? Because faith is essential. Faith is essential. It's vital to everything in our lives. It's vital to God working in our lives. Without faith, God is limited in our lives in what he can do. I think of Mark 6, 5, when Jesus went to Nazareth, and Jesus wanted to do so much among them, but it said he could only do a few more works because of their unbelief because they were uncooperative because they 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 kept testing and proving him so without faith god is limited in what and how much he can do in our lives in hebrews 11:6 we learn that without faith it's impossible to please god you can't you can't do anything right without faith Without faith, our spiritual lives can never mature. We'll always be testing God. We'll be like the children of Israel. I believe, I don't believe. I believe, I don't believe. Without faith, we cannot understand like Nicodemus or enter into God's plan, God's work. It requires faith. Faith is precious to God. Faith means so much to God. God is looking for faith. When he scans the earth, according to 2 Chronicles 16, when he looks, he is looking for those whose hearts are faithful or filled with faith towards him. This is is what draws God's attention. Faith draws God's attention. To us. Ronald Dunn, and he wrote one of my favorite books. It's called Have Faith. He quotes G.D. Watson. I don't know who G.D. Watson is, but it's such a great quote. I love it. It says, our limitless trust in God seems to satisfy him as nothing else can do. Because it corresponds with his eternal faithfulness, it honors his veracity And it is a constant, silent worship of all his perfection. Faith just says you are all that you say you are. In 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, Peter says this. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, faith is so vital, so essential, that God will do whatever it takes to develop, to deepen, and to draw it out of us In Abraham's life, we see faith developing, deepening, and being drawn out through one, the reiteration of God's promises and word. God comes to Abraham. He speaks, he appears, he comes in a vision, and he always reiterates the promises. Next, we see That faith is developed, deepened, drawn out by ritual and revelation of God's covenant to Abraham, by ritual. We also have rituals. We do what we call a communion. It's a ritual that reminds us. It deepens, it develops our faith. We also see it through the ruin. Are you getting the R's yet? Reiteration, ritual, ruin, of carnal plans, the ruin of our own plans. And finally, this is a W, but it's close enough, the resting greater authority over us by name-changing. The resting of greater authority over us. So God reiterates his promises. He repeats them with greater emphasis and greater detail and more clarity. You know, we get a promise, and we're like, oh, oh, this is great. And, and we think God's gonna do it one way, and then God begins to refine and show us how that promise is going to happen. Now, God, in Genesis chapter 12, he calls Abraham out of Ur, then out of Haran, to follow him and go to a land that Abraham doesn't know. God leads Abraham to Canaan. Abraham's now been in Canaan for 10 years. And there have been unexpected events. There has been a famine. That wasn't expected. He wasn't warned that there'd be a famine. You're going to go there. You know, Often when we think, you know, God says, come, move here. I've got so much for you. It's, yes. It is like Famine. You didn't didn't say that there would be famine. You didn't put that in the plans. You didn't tell me about famine or Egypt. You didn't tell me about family separations. You didn't tell me that there'd be a cost or this would be part of it. You didn't tell me that there'd be battles with mighty kings. I've been going through the Psalms. And one thing I realized about the Psalms is everybody has enemies. We expect to go through life without any enemies, like everybody loves us. That's how we want, are you, are you okay without me? I love you, are you okay with? I mean, I'd like everyone to be my friend. I remember this little boy years ago. You could barely understand him, but he says, I, I don't know why kunk can't be our friends. We're like, what? Why a kunk can't be our friend? And his mother said, why a skunk can't be our friend? And he goes why he wants to pray everybody. Why he wants to spray everybody. Like oh. I mean it, this little boy I think he reminds us of ourselves. Why can't Kunks be our friends? You know, why do they have to, you know, do that smelly stuff? Why can't they just be nice and just save the stink for themselves? Why? Because they're afraid and fear creates enmity. God speaks to Abram and says, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Abraham had experienced victory in battle. He was shielded by God. He had been protected by God. Abraham refused the spoils of victory from the king of Sodom. But he received the reward of bread and wine and blessing from the king of righteousness, from the king of peace, the priest of the Most High God, Melchizedek. But now as God reiterates his promise to Abraham, Abraham has two questions. Now remember, it's been 10 years. I love Abraham's honesty with God, and we'll see that even more as next week, or as we study this next week, you'll see Abraham's honesty with God. And this is what he says, and I'm going to paraphrase, I don't quite understand the game plan. Have you ever said that to God? Okay, I've got this promise, but I I don't quite understand what you're doing. It's been 10 years. I have no biological descendants. You promised me that from my seed, and yet right now the only person that's gonna inherit anything that I have is my servant Eliezer. And... (laughs) He can inherit my goods, but you told me I was going to have all this land, and I don't own one single piece of this land that you brought me to to pass on. So, who am I going to Who am I going to pass on? Who are these invisible descendants who will get the invisible inheritance? What is going on? God reiterates and repeats his promise to Abraham. This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then Abram is taken outside by God into the crisp, cool night air of the desert. And he's told to look up in the black velvet sky of Canaan and begin to count the stars. They say on a good night, that the human eye can detect 3,000 stars, but there are thousands more, and some of those stars are even blurring together. My dad had a little cabin at Green Valley, the property that Calvary owns, and we would go up there, Brian and I, and my dad had these beach chairs that you could lay down, and he had a telescope. So we took the beach chairs, and we sat outside on this balcony, and we looked up in the sky, and we we tried to count the stars. I'm so bad at that, I lose count. I used to lose count on my own children, let alone 3,000 stars. But it just seemed like the whole sky was ablaze with stars. Uh, where's the beginning? Where's the end? As you look up into the sky. And as I looked at that, I thought about how even with light pollution, there are so many stars. You know, I love look at stars. But here, in my neighborhood, when I look up, I can count maybe six on a good night, right? I live not too far from a Vons that has got the neon lights on all night long. So, I mean, if a burglar comes in our house, I'll see him right away and be able to identify him. Might as well just shoot me and get it over with. But God takes Abram outside and he tells him, look now, look up look up. And you know, that's something that we always need to do when it comes to the promises of God. Look up. Because the answer and the fulfillment is not by looking down and it's not by looking around. It's from looking up. Abram was to look at stars. Abram couldn't, had no control over stars. He couldn't put more stars in the sky. He couldn't reach the stars. Stars are something only God can do. Stars are something only God can touch. Abram cannot make a star. Only God can. Here, Abram's faith is developed. And it says in verse six, and God accounted Abraham's faith for righteousness. You see, God wants to develop our place that he might place it on our account as righteousness we cannot work hard enough. We cannot do a great enough work to merit or acquire righteousness. It's not in us. So God, knowing our inability, says, you know what? If you'll just believe in me, if you'll trust and entrust to me, then I can use that as a venue to come into you and to work through you and work for you. When we believe God, he can work his righteousness in us so that we can have the promises. Our own nature is too permeated with sin and we cannot meet the high standard of God. So God uses faith in his word and the ultimate faith in the living word, Jesus, to account us to reckon us as righteous. So God reiterated his word, his promises to Abraham. Next, God reveals his covenant to Abram, Genesis 15, eight through 21. Abram has asked, Lord, how shall I know that I will inherit it? What's the promise? How am I gonna know? You, You said I'm gonna inherit it, but what's the sign? What's the surety? Because I'm still living in a tent, And I don't own anything. So God directs Abraham to get a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Abraham is to cut the heifer in half, cut the goat in half, cut the ram in half, and then put a turtle dove on one side and a pigeon on the other side. So what they would do is they would cut these sacrifices in half and put one on each side, creating an aisle, kind of like this, you can think of half a heifer here and half a heifer there, here a half, there a half, everywhere a half, half, <laughs> creating this aisle. And then the idea with with a covenant, you know, they didn't do paper covenants in those days. They didn't use parchment because that could be destroyed. This was an eternal covenant, so they would do rituals. So what would happen is they would cut these animals, and then the parties would stand at each end and they would walk and meet in the middle. And the idea was this, whoever breaks this covenant is gonna end up like one of these animals. You're gonna end up just torn asunder. You're almost saying, may God do to me and more if I don't. Did you ever do that? You know, I swear, I swear, stick a needle in my eye, which is a really terrible thing to say. But you know how you did that? That was this covenant. If I don't come through, then may I, may my fate be the same as one of these animals. Abram follows the Lord's instructions, then he waits. And nothing seems to happen. He's waiting, he's waiting. These vultures try to come down on the sacrifice and he shoes them away. And then as the sun is going down and Abram has been waiting, he falls into a deep, sleep. And it's during this deep sleep that God begins to reveal to Abram what he is going to do in the future. His descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. This is where they will develop into a nation. They will be afflicted for 400 years, and then they will come out with great promises. As Abram wakes up having this full revelation of what God is going to do, He expects God to call him and say, meet me, meet me in the aisle between the sacrifices. And he wakes up, he's kind of groggy, but he sees a smoking oven and a torch passing through. You see, God is saying, no, Abram, this is not for you. This promise is 100% dependent on me. This is how you will know. Because I God will do it. This is what Paul is talking. Uh, the author of Hebrews is talking about when he says, "God, God promised it by an oath, by His own name." He says, "This is one hundred percent dependent on me. And if I don't come through with my promises, then I will cease to be God. I'll be destroyed." I will cease to be God. Abram never passes through the sacrifices. How will Abraham know? Because God himself will do it all. Then in chapter 16, we have the ruin of carnal plans. The ruin of carnal plans. When I used to teach Sunday school, sometimes I would notice the kids getting kind of antsy like kids do, and I'd say, all right, everyone stop, stand up, time to get the wiggles out, and I would just have them like, wiggle, who can do the best wiggles, and you know, they would wiggle, I oh, no, I don't think it's out of you, more wiggles, so they would do it, oh, no, you're not wiggling enough, let's just get all the wiggles out, and then there'd always be that child that would throw himself on the ground, and you know, knock the other kids over, But I knew that they had to get the wiggles out. And as the time was delayed, Abram needed to get the wiggles out. He and Sarah were getting antsy about God's promises. Sarah is getting older. She's passing quickly through her seventies. Conception and childbearing are looking more and more impossible. And at this point, Sarah concludes that God's covenant plans have nothing to do with her, that they're with Abram alone. Now, remember, it's Abram who received the word of God. It's Abram who God appeared to. Sarah's been in the background. In fact, Abram even gave her to the king of Egypt, like, hey, Alvar, I'm in the covenant. Do what you want with Sarah. And God protected Sarah And brought her out and told Pharaoh, don't you touch her. This man's a prophet. So she comes up with a plan. She's trying to insert herself into God's covenant, not realizing that she's part of it. She's trying to insert herself. She tells Abraham, take my handmaiden, Hagar, who we acquired in Egypt, impregnate her, and I will raise the child as my own. It's a surrogate pregnancy. And everything seems to be all right with this. It sounds good on paper. It sounds feasible. They're actually helping God out. Here we are, God. This is your plan to give us children an heir. We don't have one. So here's a way you can do it. Isn't that great? Here's the plan, Lord. At seven o'clock on Thursday night, if you know, we're going to do this, and you just bless it and make it great. About seven years ago, Jasmine accompanied me to Miami, Florida, for a Spanish book conference. And there was a reason she accompanied me. Mi español es muy pobre. Hers is muy bueno. And so she was my interpreter. She was so hilarious, because we're sitting there, and these these people are speaking in Spanish and I want to know what's going on. I can, I can uh, grasp about every 10th word. And she says to me, she goes, do you want me to interpret this? I'm like, kind of. She's like, well, if I do, I'll miss what they're saying. But it's so bad. This person is such a heretic. They're so off. Now I really want to know what's going on, right? Then another lady gets up, she goes, This one's so good. This is like, this is so, oh boy, I'll tell you later, so good. So I'm like, Jasmine, what'd they say? I can't remember exactly, man. Which one was that again? I'm like, Jasmine. But this one lady, she got up and she spoke English. And she'd written a book and she'd been on Shark Tank. She was absolutely gorgeous, but I think she had a surgeon's help. And she got up and she wrote a book on how to be rich. And it was like 10 ways to be rich and you just follow a plan, you'd be rich. And this is what she said, because this is how God wants to save the world. He wants to make each of us rich. God's delays are not God
0: saying no, but God saying wait. God uses divine delays to develop, deepen and draw out our faith. Faith is essential and vital to everything in our lives. Without faith, God is limited in what and how much He can do in our lives. Without it, we will never grow spiritually or please God. Delays can be frustrating, but remember God is there. He is in the waiting and doing a work in you. May God help us to trust Him as we wait and allow Him to grow our faith. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look further at the life of Abraham and his faith as we continue our series, Our Great Creator, in the book of Genesis with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com.